Welcome to the Your Tech, Your Voice podcast, the audio version of the video series. Today, I sit down with my friend, Tim McLaughlin at Texas A&M. Hello, everyone, and welcome today to Your Tech, Your Voice. We are at the home of Revele. We're at the home of the 12th man, also known as Texas A&M. And with me, I have a great guest, Tim McLaughlin, who is no stranger to the Dell client community. Tim, welcome to the program, and won't you tell us a little bit about what you do here at Texas A&M? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I'm an associate professor. I'm in the Department of Visualization, which is in the College of Architecture. I've been here for about 13 years now. So your career has really spanned a lot of different things. You've been a draftsman. You've been in Hollywood and worked for film companies like <laughs> right, Lucasfilm. Right. Then you were brought back here to head up the Department of Visualization. How has technology changed in the multiple industries that you've been a part of? Well, when I was a draftsman, so this was straight out of my undergrad, I was pen and ink wearing long white sleeve shirts and a tie, doing <laughs> pen and ink on vellum, and that was the technology. Now, there was CAD in that system, but I wasn't a CAD operator. Uh, when I went back to school, it was because I recognized that computing and design were going to come together, and that's what the visualization program was set up to do. Interesting. So that industry has seen a convergence with the, everything being digitized, like a lot of industries are, have done or either going through. And that happened pretty early on, I guess, in, in the um, visualization right. industry. So when I was in school as a grad student, Jurassic Park came out. Mm. And what was interesting is that there was this recognition that to tell great stories, computer graphics could be used in a photorealistic way. And so by the time I got out with my graduate degree, the, the doors were open and that's why I went to Hollywood. I didn't go to Hollywood, I went to Northern California. So the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were telling me that back then the, the, the compute was just enormous machines, very expensive. <laughs> like what right, was right. that like? Yeah, so my first project was Jumanji. So the, the Robin Williams Jumanji, sure. the early one. And I worked on a silicon graphics machine, SGI. Oh yeah. Right, and that box that I was working on was worth more to the company than I was. So it was worth more than my, my yearly salary, which was a, I tried not to think about it, you know? <laughs> I, I felt like I was valuable to the company and doing, doing the things I was doing. I was uh, working on the deformations and articulation systems and then eventually dynamic systems for characters. And so having a, a, some, what we considered at that time, great computing mm -hmm. horsepower, you know, to look at the graphics, uh, nowhere close to what could be done today. But at that time, we, we were cutting edge, and that was an sure. exciting place to be. We were, what was different from just a few years earlier is that visual effects had been on the stage with cameras and, you know, what we would call practical visual effects. And all the key creatives were looking at the same problem at the same time. By the time I came in, most of the work was moving to digital post-work was digital. And so we were all a team still, but we were all at our individual workstations and we would get together for dailies, you know, to look at the work that had been done before. Take notes, go back, sit by ourselves, you know, use email and other meetings to, to catch up on what was going on. But it was a get together, figure things out, go off on your own, work on your workstation, then get back together and figure things out. And what we were missing was that collaborative atmosphere. So it's been, forward to today, what's happening is that we can now collaborate again. You know, the, the real-time computing, what graphics and, and these computers are allowing is for us to be together in real time working on problems, uh, looking at them collaboratively. 
That's really interesting. And, um, you know, right here we got the 7750, and I imagine that's probably 10 times more compute than what you originally worked on back in the <laughs> SGI days. Right, yeah, yeah. And you can carry it around with you. It's and, amazing. And get together with people, be on set to look at how, how is this going to look. All right, let's see how it looks digitally. Let's see how it looks here. Right. That's pretty good stuff. It is. I so, just got it a couple of months ago, and I'm really excited about being able to, to work with it and heading into the uh, the coming fall semester, I'm going to be doing all sorts of crazy things with it. Nice. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do a follow-up and see how, see how <laughs> you like good. it. So what are your students doing once they get their degree and they've graduated from the Department of Visualization? What kind of activities and, and jobs out there are there for them? It, it's a wide range and it, it's getting wider. So the, like I mentioned with the Jurassic Park issue, uh, Toy Story came out mm -hmm. right after that. and. We be, the Department of Visualization at Texas A&M became a place that was producing uh, technical directors. So people who understand how to do the technology, the programming, put things together in a different way, but also have aesthetic sensibilities. So our students began to be very much media and entertainment oriented, primarily, not only. Now what's changed since then, that, that industry has grown for sure, but the kinds of computing, the graphics computing has gone into engineering, architecture, uh, product design, urban planning, uh, simulation for training. It's all over the place now. So our students are moving into different arenas that weren't open uh, just even a few years ago because of uh, uh, how these industries are embracing uh, computer graphics. Oh, that's interesting. So how many students do you have in the program? At the graduate level, there are about 65 to 70. At the undergraduate level, there's about 350. Okay. And we were talking last night about, you know, diversity, especially in, in IT and STEM and STEAM and those kind of things. And you've got an interesting story with your, you know, breakdown of gender. Talk a little bit about that with us. So the graduate program is about a 50-50 mix, male-female. And uh, we consider that great because yes. it's, it's a STEM degree. We, we like to call it STEAM, which is you put the art in the middle of STEM, but it's a, a STEM degree and that's a, you know, 50-50 is a really good percentage. Now, at the undergraduate level, year to year, it's two thirds, three quarters female. That's great. Right? And that's I also mean, that's... A, a STEM degree, Bachelor of Science in Visualization. So it's kind of unusual, well, very unusual and something we're not quite sure why it's happening, but we're embracing it and, and happy for it. So it's great. I, I'd love to go to SIGGRAPH and see a 50-50 crowd. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's something in, in all of IT we're looking at. How can we create that diversity, not just with gender, but, but really every angle uh, to help us all, all do better. So with the students and they're working on these programs, you know, what kind of compute do they need to have? You know, what kind of computer are they consuming? And what programs are you teaching them or are they learning those kind of things? Right. It's, it's very diverse. So the, the idea is it's a studio-based education. And so we give them design problems to solve. And we try not to tell them what software they have to use or what computing resources they have to use. So what ideas do they have to come to it. Now, most of them are going to be using some digital content creation packages like Maya, right, um, or Houdini. And so they're going to be running on machines that are capable of doing uh, good, uh, high quality, sometimes photo real uh, computer graphics. So, in, and then when they're getting into real time, those who are interested in games or simulation, getting into things like the Unreal Engine, then that, that real time frame rate of high quality graphics goes up. We try to offer in the department the kinds of computing that's difficult for them to achieve on their own, 
but that bar keeps changing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're a public institution, so we're always moving in that direction and trying to provide as much as we can. They're also buying their own laptops and bringing them in. And so that they have a diversity of machines that they use. Some have uh, workstations at home. So it's really a mixed bag. And uh, the, the goal again is, hey, what is this class about? What is your design thinking about? Okay, let's try to find the computing that is necessary to do that. And it may be a, a, a laptop, it may be a tower, it may be some other devices that are plugged in. So it's an it's a interesting uh, collection. That is interesting. So you were telling me earlier in your office, you've got a, I believe it was a 5820 tower. Right. And now you've got this um, 7750 that you're, you're kind of transitioning to. I imagine you use this to teach, you know, your classes. And so right. it's able to run, you know, all those programs and, yes. and do everything you need to do because you never know what the student's going to be using. So you've got to be able to run them all. Right. You know, do I want to be ahead of where the students can go or do I want to be behind? You know, in my thinking, I want to be ahead, but I also don't want to be putting some expectations out there that they can't meet. And I think with this machine, I'm probably out there a little bit and we'll, <laughs> they'll have to catch up to me, I guess, in this coming year. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's always good for the teacher to be a little bit ahead. Yeah, I think maybe, so. maybe so. <laughs> well, um, I'm using this uh, Precision 5550 and what's nice about it, it's still a, a mid-range workstation, but it's, uh, it's right at four pounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about some people that might have some limitations on carrying something as big as that, uh, you are still able to do it with something a little bit smaller form factor. And, and um, I'm not quite doing all the graphics you're mm -hmm. doing, so this works perfect for me. So Tim, this uh, couple of new features on the 7750 you have that I want you to talk about how those could be potentially used is the refresh rate. So one of them is mm -hmm. the 120 refresh rate, and then there's also an option to get a 5G radio in it as well. How do you think those could be used? All right. Well, the refresh rate issue is something that, in terms of frame rate, I'm familiar with from uh, industry backgrounds, but I was always dealing with 24, 30 frames a second, you know, 24 for film, 30 frames a second for video. And so moving into an environment where we're talking about games in real time, moving to 30 to 60 uh, has made a lot of sense. Now, 120 becomes an issue only in certain situations. So does it make sense? Is it useful? It de depends. Who's the audience? So who needs it? So if we're making uh, a product uh, some sort of visualization environment for situations that need fast reaction time. So imagine a training scenario for mm. first responders, military, something like that. Then you get up into the area where that difference between a 60 and a 120 can be a difference in the training effectiveness. So I, I think it's very appropriate. I'm glad this machine has it because now we're not limited. We can go there if, if we need to. And in terms of the, the 5G side, I love the capacity to take this out in the field, do, wherever, do whatever I need to be disconnected, to connect other things to it. So I consider this part of an environment of technology where I'm using sensing technology, capture technology. Uh, it could be motion capture, it could be image capture. I'm pulling things in, connected to my coworkers so that we can be collaborating from different spaces. And, and that's all enabled. It's already enabled, now it's enabled where we can handle bigger data, more data, faster. So these workstations now um, are being used for so many different things that even in enterprise are, are commercial, there's commercial usage for this as well. You mentioned the training or manufacturing, you know, that mm -hmm. might be an area where manufacturing has, let's do virtual training. Let's give you, you know, 10, 20 hours in the virtual world. Right. Okay, now we're gonna put you out there where you can really mess up some equipment and we want you to be <laughs> trained up before then. Right. So, you know, even, you know, you think these precisions of being 
more around the marketing or the entertainment, those sort of things. We're just really starting to get in everyday uh, corporate life uses for that. Right. And in where I find it very engaging in terms of a commercial use where you're looking at dollars and cents, you know, these, these, uh, the computing can be expensive, but when you compare the time to, to use graphics for the purpose of training, where you can create uh, something I would be interested in is creating, let's say a, a photo reel environment for training in a very expensive or dangerous area. Well, let's, let's do that training, you know, like you said, nine or 10 days in that virtual mm -hmm. environment make sure everyone's comfortable operating before we move out into the real environment to do the, the testing and make sure it's all working. That saves time, saves potentially um, liability, saves uh, from injury, uh, saves on cost of bringing systems down that would be a training scenario system for live and just using them one day out of 10, for example. Yeah, it's great to be able to get some experience in a dangerous situation that's not dangerous, but it feels dangerous because you can be, you know, just so absorbed in it and before you go out and do it, that's that's really neat and it's uh, it's interesting how the iot side of things you know this is another edge device you know you can take it on the edge and with 5g and and where that compute and all these data points that are everywhere you know 5g plays a key role in that on bringing that you know back to be processed some of it's going to be processed here so it's uh it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five or ten years with with 5g in this environment that we're in that we're having this interview is a uh a studio environment for our students, but it, it's not a computing oriented studio. It's a design and making studio. So the computing is, is part of it. So having workstations like this, having 5G, having uh, students have the capacity to, to make something that may be useful for uh, mixed reality, augmented reality, uh, plugging in headsets, uh, is all here and possible in this, the computing and the networking makes it, makes it work. So you were telling me uh, about a story about an individual. He was here, and then he went off and did some nice things, and and you know the visual graphics design. And now he wants to come back and give back. And I know you're working with some local um, high schools around mm -hmm. here. You know, tell us about how you know Dell Technologies and just the ability now to get that compute really almost anywhere. You know, is helping people you know improve their lives and improve generations yeah. to come. Yeah, it, it's a story that is probably familiar to most people in the audience, which is that the individuals who tend to go into our field are led there by somebody they know. A, mm. a door is open to them. And there are a lot of students who don't know somebody that's in the field. They've never seen themselves in that field. And so they have no awareness. Uh, let's say that they're watching something in popular media, uh, a movie, uh, you know, The Mandalorian on a TV show, they're playing a video game. They have no sense of idea that, hey, that could be me. I could be making that. So one of my uh, goals, uh, professional goals, is to figure out how to gain that sense of identity, deliver that sense of identity to students when they're at a key decision-making point. So I focus the work on uh, the middle school age, you know, fifth, mm -hmm. eighth graders, and I've got a project with a, a school district up in East Texas, Longview Independent School District, and they're really uh, open to being innovative, trying different things, working with Gearbox software out of Frisco to deliver a curriculum at that level that is a, a games-oriented curriculum, but it's also bringing into it this idea of identity development, vocational identity development at the adolescent stage before they go into high school. 
so that they're making the right choices in high school about what courses to take. Hey, I do want to take calculus. Mm -hmm. I do want to take physics. I do want to take programming. And I want to take theater and art and design so that I'm college ready. Right? We have, a, as an example, a student that went through our, our visualization program. And he's at Disney, Dis uh, Walt Disney Animation now. Nice. Uh, and he's from South Texas, uh, Jose Velasquez, we call him Wicho. And his story is that as he was growing up, he never envisioned himself doing that. It just wasn't part of his environment. He came to AM not knowing exactly what he was going to do as an undergrad, got inspired by the, the grad program, visualization, got introduced by, to people that are in the industry because we have a lot of former students that come back. And he realized, wow, that, that could be me. I can do that. And so he's really engaged with us in doing outreach and, and helping us reach students who would otherwise just not even consider it. Eventually, if we're good at this, if we figure it out, then the population in our industries will change and it'll be more diverse, be more representative of the population as a whole. And then we'll be able to tell more interesting stories as well. That's great. And the lab that they're using at that, uh, at that school, how, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the school district, Longview School District, uh, Dell set them up with a computing lab in one of their middle schools. Uh, the teacher's name is Joe Manns, and he is, he's just thrilled. He's <laughs> got this beautiful suite of machines. We were up there uh, right at the end of the, of the spring semester and watching the students work and they're wor working in Unreal. They're creating games, 3D interactive games. And you know, these are 13, 14 year olds, 12 year olds in some cases. And so it's really awesome to see not only the students enthusiastic, but the teacher and the administration of the school district enthusiastic about what it's doing. And they're a, they're a STEAM district, they're an international baccalaureate district. So mm -hmm. they understand how to pull together this kind of uh, interdisciplinary merged curricular kind of uh, process, which is what, what this is about. You know, it's, you got to know the science, you got to know the math, you got to know the storytelling, the art, the literature. I love that approach. And learning that base, that, that student can really take it in many different directions. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me also that there's, there's a bit of code in there. I think Python is the one that is mostly used. And you know, that, that is another thing. We, we need more coders. I mean, the world needs more coders. Right. And so if they get introduced that, even if it might be from, a, oh, I want to learn how to program games, you, you never know where that's going to lead. Right. And for them to get exposure at an early age, and to me, it's about that I can do this. Yes. There, there is no limitation. And you know, we're not talking about a huge piece of equipment like you started out with that was so expensive, it was out of reach. You know, now they're not. Right. And compute is there and available. Yes, the, the curriculum that we're working with, Gearbox set up, uh, you use Scratch at the fifth grade level. Now, mm -hmm. Scratch you can use, you know, kindergartners can use Scratch, but it's a really easy way to introduce students who may otherwise say, programming, that's not me, you know, that's somebody else, that's not me. Introduce those uh, reluctant students to it and recognize I can create something. We move into being able to program in, in Python because Python is in so many DCC packages uh, as a, a language that can be uh, easily adapted and used. Uh, C++, of course, in graphics is, is where we'd like to get uh, most of the students. So it's, it's a, I think, a, a wonderful way to allow students to get over that hurdle which is this barrier of saying, I'm not a programmer, to say, well, programming is just a tool. There's something I want to do, so I'm going to pick up that tool yeah. and, and use it. Learn all the tools. Yeah. And you know, with the compute, I mean, I see with your model, you've got a Xeon processor, I got an i7M. That's plenty for people to, to do that, you know, to compile that code 
you know, right there at their desk, wherever they are. If they want to work outside, great. If they want to work inside, that's fine too. It's just, you, know, yeah. you can do it on the go. Yeah, yeah. Compiling it, you know, and, and the languages that require it, uh, it is not an, an issue anymore. In most cases that I deal with, you know, mm -hmm. some, some of your audience may differ, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but most issues I deal with, that's, that's not been a problem. And my own experience with programming was uh, not having come from that background. I mm -hmm. didn't do it, but a little bit in high school, a little bit in my undergraduate, and then in my graduate school really got into it. But it was when I went to work and I recognized that this is the, something I'm going to do, that if I have to do it by hand, it's going to take me hours each time I'm going to have to do it. And so I reached out to knowledgeable people around me. They supplied me with a little bit of code. I got excited about making things happen. And from that point, man, I, there was hardly a problem I picked up that I didn't want to try to code it and figure it out. So it's, uh, it's really an empowering ability once you, once you grasp it. Yeah, that's great. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about monitors. So now these monitors are just, you know, the color range that they can do. And, and in some cases, it's even more than what the eye can even, you know, consume. But why, you know, why is Dell continuing to push that envelope as far as the 4K, the ultra high depth and all those kind of things? We talked a little bit about the 120 hertz as well. But how, how does that come into play from a visualization perspective? Uh, you know, with your students, or what do you think about just the industry as a whole? Think about from the student's perspective first. Uh, most of the students don't have an awareness of color calibration or even the fidelity of different uh, display devices. And so that education is part of what we want to do. And so uh, what we want to be able to say is, what is your output and who is your audience? Now let's gear the display and color space to that and make them aware of that conversation, aware, aware of the technical issues in it. And so being able to go to a wide range of different color spaces, being able to say, okay, we're going to project this uh, outdoors on a large screen. Okay, that's our target. Now we know we can use uh, the technology and get there. Or we're going to produce something that's only going to be seen on a, a mobile phone. Okay, let's use the technology in the right color space to do that. So that's, that's where we are with it. Is it. Like I was talking about with the refresh rate, is have the range so that you can get where you need to go, but make the choices and have the students understand the choices they have to make so that they don't do more than they have to and they do what's appropriate for what the, the output is. I mean, that's a good lesson. Know your audience. I mean, that can be applied to almost anything. Know who you're talking to. Know what device is going to be displayed on. Mm -hmm. And even though you have powered it to go past it, you might not need to. That might not be the best answer, especially when you think about, you know, the amount of data that it takes to, to maybe show a film or something. And if you don't need it to have super high def, if it's going to be shown on a phone, you know, make sure you know that to keep the, the bits and bytes as low as possible so that, you know, that streaming experience is, is much better. Yeah. And as a designer or artist, you never have enough time right? You're never done, right? You just have to walk away. And so, you know, for our technical artists, technical directors, we want them to concentrate their time and energy where it's appropriate. So don't waste the time, you know, on, on creating a product for something that's not going to be seen in a particular way. Create your, uh, use your energy where it's going to be right. most useful. So ergonomics, that's a key. I know we talked earlier in, in our careers, it was a lot of, rep you know, repetitive things and that cause issues. I remember some of my classes early on about carpal tunnel syndrome mm -hmm. and those sort of things. So how is ergonomics allowing, um, you know, future directors and things to be able to say, 
this is the way we need to do it. We need to keep that in mind for the people that are working, you know, whether this is working in an office or working on set, you know, talk to us about the ergonomic side of things. The key to ergonomics to me is adjustable, flexible. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's adjustable to the setup you need and adjustable to the setup I need. It means it's adjustable to the setup I need today, right now, tomorrow, five o'clock. And that's gonna change. Yes. It's gonna change, gonna maybe change. throughout the day. Exactly, and so that's that's what I'm looking for uh, when I'm you know, looking for something for myself or if I'm looking uh, working with a student and, and they may be having problems is to say, okay, how can you change your setup? Mm -hmm. Not to find the ideal setup necessarily. You want multiple good setups based upon what you're doing. Are you standing? Are you sitting? Do you want the monitor height here? Do you need the monitor to a side a little bit? Is that a problem? And uh, keyboards in particular, do you have enough space for your fingers on the keyboard? Are you not locked into a particular configuration? Ergonomics and, and this more of a software design issue uh, where you're not doing repetitive, the same repetitive strokes over and over again. Uh, is key. Most students are doing such a diverse set of things during a day that they don't have the same issues with ergonomics mm. that, uh, that professionals do, or you're in the same environment for six, 12 hours a day, maybe six, seven days a week. That's where it really becomes an issue. Yeah, it's always something to, to keep in mind because I, I think a lot of people realize that when they were setting up their home office. It's like, oh, I don't have a standing desk here or, oh, I'm using this monitor that, you know, I've had for years and it's not the best. And I know one of the things that, um, that Dell does with, you know, if you can bump up from that E version monitor to the P, you'll get that adjustable stand. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's worth the money just to make sure people can maybe stand up and just tilt up the monitor, or, you know, angle it here or there if they're moving around. So mm -hmm. a lot of good benefits. Yeah. A lot of good benefits to that. So, um, you know, on the monitors, I know that some of them now has has the um, sRGB, and then you got the the Adobe um, RGB as well. You know, any any thoughts on that? On how the monitors are being able to display that more accurately? Yeah, well, I love seeing what I expect to see, mm -hmm. and so I I get frustrated when I can't be sure if it is a cable issue or if it is a output device issue or an input device issue. So the more the, the capacity uh, to ensure that from the output to input is, is working, then, then I'm happy. I'm, I'm a motion person more than the, the final, like my friends who are compositors in, mm -hmm. in visual effects, they are all over color issues. They are all over <laughs> depth issues and they're all over how do we make sure we have the right connections. Uh, for me, those things are important, but I'm also looking at, well, you know, this goes back to the frame rate issue, but okay. you know, how, how's the mo motion looking? Uh, is it smooth? Is it supposed to be smooth? And so making sure that we're getting um, imagery from one device to another is important, highly important. You were telling me about one of the exercises that your students do and like, look, I want this to look like a cheetah running and it, it doesn't have to look like a cheetah. And you were telling me it could just be stick figures or dots or whatever, but to make that run fluid, you've got to not only have the, the computing power to do it, but you've got to have the display that can keep up because mm -hmm. you wouldn't want it to look bad and be like, oh, you know, it works on this monitor, but not on this. You got to make sure you have both. Right. That's, um, that's an interesting, yeah. Uh, exercise to, to understand and this motion to look realistic in yes. a in a digital world. Yeah, no learning experience as well. So you know, I'll, I'll have students that are always uh, being encouraged. They have to find reference, find reference, find reference. So mm -hmm. uh, I remember a student once brought in something. Uh, it, the project is focusing on quadrupedal motion, and brought in this uh, um, video clip, probably from YouTube or something like mm -hmm. that, and it was of uh, a rodent, small rodent, maybe a, a rat moving along a wall. 
It's like, this is great. And it's like, this is at 30 frames a second. You, you can't see the feet. You can't see the uh, footfall pattern. And so instead of saying, okay, go back and get something else, I said, okay, recreate that. So you're going to now recreate something that looks like the imagery of something moving too fast for 30 frames a second. That's your, that's your design problem. Okay. I figure out that and it's, you know, it's a coding problem because they have to change the gate from a walk to a trot to a run, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the, for that animal, whatever the transition is. But it's also a, a, like we're talking about, what is it you want to see? What is it going to look like on the screen? Whatever screen it may be, whatever device, that's your design problem. Now figure that part out. Oh, that's interesting. And um, I think, you know, in the studio that we're in here, I, I at least thought, oh, when they do movies on computers, they're just, you know, it's just a computer lab. But that is so far from the truth. It, it's the computer is just one of the many tools and one of the many uh, inspirations to make it happen. Uh, so that, that's interesting. This is quite the facility. Tell us a little bit about this place. Yeah, so we're in downtown Bryan. Uh, and Texas A&M University is in College Station, but it's at the north end of College Station and the city of Bryan sits right there next to the campus almost, about a mile from campus. The Department of Visualization is interested not only in the science, but the art. So we're a computer science department that is graphics infused and we're a art and design department that is graphics confused, <laughs> graphics infused, merged together into a single learning experience. And, on that art and design side, being out in the community and exhibiting your work is, is critical. So a few years ago, we were able to, to lease some space here in downtown. It's a great urban environment. Brian, this, downtown Bryan is a wonderful little community. And so our students are down here. They're down here working. Uh, they go out for the restaurants and the coffee and come back. And it's, it's a different experience than being on campus. And that's, that difference is great. So they're back on campus for some classes. They're here for other classes. It's a exhibition space as well. So we invite the community in to come and see what the students are doing. Oh, nice. They have a, a once a month, uh, they call it First Friday here, which is, you know, community comes down to hang out in downtown. And we always have the doors open for them to come in and see what's going on. Oh, that's great. So you're really part of the community. I mean, right. they, they look forward to coming here and, oh, let's see what the students are doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we were talking also about just how everything is, is merging together. And, you know, you think about a company like Dell, obviously they're manufacturing, you know, laptops and, and workstations and things. But it's also the partnerships that Dell has with other manufacturers. Think about Intel, think about NVIDIA, but also the software side of things. You know, they have a partnership with Adobe. And I, I learned recently that Adobe has some AI engines that are running in the background if you're using Adobe Cloud. And that's something that you know, now we have the compute that can do that to help make the output even better. In some cases, this might be running in the background, you don't even know it. But because these devices are so powerful, you know, with the extra GPUs and, the, you know, the higher core processors, mm -hmm. that they're able to really, you know, Dell's able to create a product that kind of blends it all together. And I'm a big believer that we, you know, the, the hardware has to know what the software is doing. And I think whether that's from a, infrastructure server virtualization perspective or from a GPU to Adobe perspective or GPU to you know, whatever other uh, programs that you're using out there. What's your thoughts on Dell as far as pushing the envelope and how is that helping the industry take things even further? All right. So I'm looking at industries and the convergence and so even though I come from the visual effects side, uh, media and entertainment side, I've been looking this past year at how architecture, uh, mm. construction, engineering, 
product design, uh, urban design. These different fields are converging in the use of technology. And so that what I'm looking for is how to build a curricular structure for students so that no matter their particular field, they're getting the right introduction to the use of graphics and computing to do it. So what I see is that real-time graphics, real-time access to data, maybe it's sensor data, maybe it's other forms of data, machine learning and immersion are all hitting these fields at the same time. What working with Dell has shown me is that they have the capacity to understand what I'm talking about beyond where I am with it, because they're looking at it at a broad, uh, more, uh, broad point of view and to say, hey, we know how to put together a solution for what it is you want to do. Even though what I want to do is, is uh, kind of a, across several different verticals, mm -hmm. they're able to understand what those verticals are, have specialties in each of those verticals and put together a solution that works for me in that. If I had said, hey, I'm, I'm really hardcore on the, on the AI machine learning side, then it would be a different solution. But if I say I'm, I'm looking at how this mixes with that, then they're able to, to figure that out. And I'm in a great position now to to do my research work and also include the students and the teaching in it uh, using these. Yeah, I bet they get excited when they learn about, hey, this is opening up so many more opportunities, maybe even more than they thought about when they joined the program. It's really eye-opening. Yes, well, so, so, many, so many students come in saying, I wanna go work and make movies. I wanna go work <laughs> and make games. <laughs> And so it, it is a process of opening their eyes and so many of them come out of the program saying, oh, I can't wait to get started working for this company that's doing, um, you know, heads up displays for, you know, fighter pilots. Uh, so we've got students doing that or I can't nice. wait to do this, this work that is the, the next uh, interactive design for websites because it's starting to get more into the use of 3D graphics and things. And so they're often doing that. So mm -hmm. I, I love that, that range. Yeah, and Dell is obviously with the, with the headsets and the, and the VR, you know, they've got the machines that really work well with that. And some of the applications you were telling me about, like in architecture, how you can take that to an architecture firm, could take that to a client, because again, this is portable enough and powerful enough to do it and say, this is the design we want to build for you. And it's not on a flat piece of paper. Tell us a little bit more about where you think that can be you know, utilize more in, in architecture or other industries? It's a matter now of actually being choosy of where you go with the display technology versus always saying, I want the greatest, right? So now we know we can, we can deliver uh, highly photoreal uh, walkthroughs of, of designed spaces, pre-designed, but, but sited in, in the environment, uh, photoreal. And we can walk clients through it and say, hey, this is what you're your built environment is going to look like. What I love is the fact that we can do that or we can say, okay, we really need this client to focus on what uh, the particular structure is going to look like in this area. And so let's get away from all the photorealism and, and take a look at the, the window spacing, for example, and, and pull it down to that level. Oh, or we're going to be working with a contractor, um, let's say the HVAC contractor. So now let's pull some things away and look at just how the HVAC is connecting with um, the structural integrity of the building. Right? And, and so I, I really love that we can take graphics where we need to based upon who, again, it goes back to who's the audience, right? Who's the audience, so yeah, there you go. I want, I want the client to be thrilled and be able to take this out and, and show the uh, taxpayers what the next city hall is gonna look like. Yeah. Great, okay. I want the client to 
stay away from that and really help me figure out this problem about how the entrance to the building is going to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's let's look at that. You know, so I, I think the on the go or in a studio, the options are there. It's just a matter of choosing how you want to display it. How do you want to show it? Uh, that, that's really interesting how, you know, you, you can take this setup to the client and they put on the headset and they're like, all right, here's the final product. Okay, let's peel that back. Here's the window placement. Mm -hmm. And then if the HVAC guy is in there and they're like, all right, here's the way all that works. And then you put the way the final design is and you might realize, oh, we're planning to put a couch in that corner and there's an AC vent there. We need to move that AC mm -hmm. vent. Are those kind of things, they can see it done with a lot of those you don't really recognize until after you moved in and it's too late. Right. Or, hey, we're in that meeting. We just got an update that there's a revision on the HVAC. Let's pull that in. Right. I mean, pull that's that <laughs> it's dangerous. It's great. But, you know, yeah. so it, that's what's capable. You know, that's what the capacity is. Uh, you have to be smart how to use it. You know, how do you pull all these things together? Uh, and that goes, again, back to this real time collaboration side yeah. of it. That's exciting. And if you got the 5G radio, you can just pull it down in the You're parking lot. Set. Walk on in there, up to date. Right. Everybody yep. likes the most up to date things. Yep. Yep. And just be prepared. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. That is great. Well, Tim, this is an interesting facility that we're in. I see Dell equipment here, but I see a whole lot of other equipment. Won't you tell us a little bit about the space we're in as well as the curriculum that you teach? I think the space sort of exhibits what we're about, which means that we're not all about computing. We're about design, art, computing, programming, science, math, pull it all together. So uh, our students are expected to be left brain, right brain engaged. They're, you know, they're supposed to be able to walk both sides of that uh, problem solving aspect and be really good with aesthetic decision making and also really good with programming and um, scientific kind of thinking. We, we put those together in the curriculum in a project-based uh, studio-oriented curriculum. And I don't know of many places out there like that that do it. Uh, we are not the great place if you want to be a character animator. There's other places that are better. We're not the greatest place if you want to be a hardcore computer graphics engineer. There are other places that are better. If you want to find those roles and be in those roles where you have to be able to merge and the technical artists and games, technical directors and visual effects and animation and those roles in other fields that are like that, this is the ideal curriculum. You're, it's challenging. You know, you've got to roll from your calculus class into mm -hmm. your design studio, from your design studio into your physics class, from that into programming, into sculpture or life drawing. And not everybody is wired that way, and that's okay. But for the students that are wired that way, it's perfect. And I would think that that's an industry that's only going to get bigger, and it's going to proliferate into the enterprise, into other things. So I can imagine that you know, having somebody that can do this and balance both right side, left side brain will find themselves in a great position, hopefully many job options and, mm -hmm. and probably a high paying salary too, because there's going to be not as many people that are, that can fill that role. Right. The, well, w what's happening is that so many industries are embracing a new form of computing, a new capacity in computing. Yes. And they don't have people that necessarily know how to do that. Uh, a good example, a former student working with a, a graphic design and branding a big firm in Dallas uh, was working with a group that was going to do a stop motion a little short. Right? Mm -hmm. And what they wanted to do was to do a 3D printed stop motion. 
So they turned to our former student because his capacity to just wire together different pieces of software, different machines, get them working together was, was there. That was not something he was scared of. He understood the aesthetics of how to do the stop motion. And so he became the lead on that, on that project in terms of putting together this, uh, you know, this little advertising that looks like stop motion, but it's actually each frame is a different 3D printed figure, right? And it's, it's not something that's gonna show up again. It's not something that it showed up before. But as soon as that next thing shows up, our students are very capable of saying, hey, I think I can figure that out. Give me some time, I'll, I'll put things together and figure that out. That's fascinating. And even though it's not a, hey, here's, let's go buy this program to make this work, they were able to tie together, you know, compute, some artist knowledge, some all those things together to make this work. And the audience, they knew what they wanted and they got that delivered, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of how it, it, it happened on the back end. Right. The yeah. product yeah. was what they yeah. wanted yeah. and it worked out right. and it didn't, you don't necessarily have to over engineer things. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a, a talent and a skill that everybody needs to understand. If something works and it does what you need to do, don't overcomplicate it. Right. Or be limited to what a particular piece of software or device allows. If you can expand, you know, because of the ability to program or the ability to wire something together, if you can expand the capacity, then you're really doing the cutting edge things that most people are looking for. They're looking for something new, looking for that uh, unique problem to be solved. That's right. And what was it that you told me that you, you learned from working with George Lucas? <laughs> well, I, I didn't personally hear him say this, but this was something that uh, we all kind of live by, uh, which is if a ship on a stick will work, then use a ship on a stick. So what, what are we talking about here? Well, think about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The ship is the starship, right? So when, when the visual effects moved into the Star Wars era, that was motion control cameras, you have a big you know, fancy model and multiple passes on a computer controlled camera, composite those together and you have a beautiful looking image. But George basically said, well, if my story requires the ship to go past the camera uh, and I wanna get that shot quickly, then tape a ship to the end of a stick and run the ship by the camera. If it looks good in frame, it tells the story, I'm done. Use the ship on a stick. And so we would constantly, and this still happens with students as well, constantly get in situations where we're overthinking, mm -hmm. overthinking our solution. And what the importance is, is to go back to what are we trying to do? And I, I think about it as storytelling. So many things are really about storytelling. What is the story point? How do you tell that as efficiently and effectively as possible? Do that, and then you've hit the mark. Right, that's interesting. And um, I think this program really allows people to kind of live in both areas and know that you know that what I'm gonna go out and be doing with the knowledge that I'm gaining now is a lot of it's unknown. It's like, I will figure it out when I get there, but I have the base to do that. I have the, you know, the art and the history and the calculus knowledge, but also the visual design knowledge as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm not tied to a particular piece of software. There, there are some people I've worked with and some students who are just deep in a mm -hmm. particular piece of software. And that's great. I mean, please go and, and follow that. But for me, the approach that we use is more, well, learn how to learn software. Learn how to learn uh, a new programming language. Mm -hmm. uh, learn how to use your knowledge from your art history classes to tackle this next design problem with an informed point of view. So that's what we want them to know. That's fantastic. So how does Dell help you know, the university you know, make sure that everybody is coming out here and, and help with just your program in general? Well, a few years ago, we were really trying to figure out how to handle uh, VR 
and AR. And knowing some students were getting interested into it, there were some research going on that we wanted to uh, take a look at. And Dell stepped forward and said, I'll tell you what, here, here's a suite of our best laptops for VR and AR. And they set us up, uh, I think it was 16 or 17 machines, and said, go for it. And what that enabled us to do was to, to set up a design studio that was open to all students, open to all faculty, and say, here's the equipment. Now you go in and figure out what you want to do with it. And it's been in use since then. Uh, our graphics lab that the grad students use, that's mainly oriented toward the, the animation visual effects side. Uh, there's uh, 16, 17 uh, Dell towers in there. And that, that's there for the students to, to use and it, it does what they need to do. Now, you know, we have to refresh them and, and keep it going, but uh, Dell's been a great partner in trying to work with us to figure out what it is we want to accomplish. Could be a, a donation to help us try something new. It could be great partnering and, and pricing on figuring out how do we refresh what we have uh, existing. And so they're just easy to talk to and easy to work with. So beyond the Department of Visualization, uh, Dell's a presence across the university. We're a, a large, comprehensive university, huge engineering, huge ag, lots going on with Health Science Center, and, and, and Dell is all over the place with us, with Texas A&M University, uh, helping us maintain our position as a, a research university, as a land-grant university serving students. Uh, that's a great partnership. Great. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being here and sharing your story. We really appreciate that. If you would like to learn more about the things that we talked about today, I encourage you to go join the Dell Client Community. You can do that at dellclientcommunity.com. Thank you today for watching. Your Tech, Your Voice. Thank you for listening to Your Tech, Your Voice. We invite you to become a member at dellclientcommunities.com.